Everybody, how are you? We're so, so glad that you're here today at Parkview, in the middle of the God I Wish You New series. Hey, um, Easter is coming. Did you know this? We do this every year. We do this thing called Easter, and um, it's sarcasm. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Anyway, um, Easter is coming, and we want to help you with something this Easter. Uh, in your bulletins, there's a tear-off card. On the back of that, it's blank. What we would love to do is we know that people invite friends a lot of times at Easter, and so what we'd love to do is be able to partner with you in that. So if you would, on the back of that card, just write down the names of two or three people that you're planning on inviting or that you'd like for us to pray for. And what we're going to do is between now and Easter, our staff and our prayer team are going to pray for those people as you invite them and as you get ready to uh, ask them to be a part of one of our Easter services. So when you do that, just make sure you drop that in the basket when they come by later during offering time, and we would love to pray for you for those things. Have you ever, um, have you ever made a bad decision? Of course not. I was speaking, uh, I was going to a speaking thing at a, at a college, and uh, it was like three hours from here. And it was in the afternoon, and I don't know, I go through this thing called the afternoon swoon where my energy level just completely dips, and so I was getting ready to get in the car for this long trip, and so I thought, you know what I really need? I really need some, some energy, so I went and I got a, like a venti something or other, a giant coffee. And so I got on the road, and I had like three hours to be on the road, and about an hour and a half in, what I realized is that the cup was, um, was empty. And so I thought, well, that, that's interesting. So I just kept driving. And then suddenly it occurred to me, I'm going to have to make a pit stop here at some point. And so as I'm driving, I pass through the great cities of Bloomington Normal, if you've ever been through those. And I'm driving, and then I, I'm, I've got to make that decision. And I thought, if I get off now, I'm going to get stuck in all the school traffic and all that stuff. I'll just wait until after I get through Bloomington, and then I'll stop someplace else. Which is fine, except for as soon as I pass Bloomington, you get into this no man's land. And I got into the no man's land, and all of a sudden, the bells and the alarms start going off, like DEFCON 3, things are turning to a bad place. And I thought, it's okay, because in the great village of Shirley, Illinois, there is a rest stop along I-55 that I've known from my travels very well. And so I'm driving, and, and I'm really intent, I'm going a little faster than I probably should required by law, and, uh, and I'm going and I'm turning the corner and I see the sign, rest area closed. <laughs> and I'm like, well, this is it, you know, I'm, uh, there's a Walmart where I'm going, I'll just have to, you know, make an expenditure and get some new payment, you know, whatever needs to happen here. And so I hit the gas and I, I finally, I thankfully ended up stopping, but you know what the worst part of this story is? That wasn't the first time. That's not the first time that's ever happened to me. And I begin to ask myself, why do I do stupid stuff like this? Now, maybe you came in today and you've got something a little more serious, something about yourself you want to change. Why do I keep doing this stuff? That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the fact that change isn't enough. Change is just managing the habits and the way things look on the outside. Transformation is really what we all need. Transformation is that thing that starts on the inside and works its way outside. So I want you to know the God I wish you knew is the kind of God that's into that. I want to thank my good friend Steve Carter because he really uh, inspired another preacher. He inspired me uh, to do this talk today, and so a lot of his fingerprints are on it. But what I want you to know, first thing before anything else, is that this God I wish you knew, the God I wish you knew loves you enough to transform you. You need to know that. The God I wish you knew loves you enough to transform you. God is not waiting for you to get your stuff together. God is actually chasing after us. 
and he loves us enough to transform us. Now, the Bible uses a lot of good metaphors for God, and uh, God is the shepherd, God is the father, God is living water. I want to deal with one today we don't talk about a lot, which is God as the potter. So I'm going to be talking from the book of Jeremiah. It's in the Old Testament. Jeremiah was a prophet, and God called these prophets to help people stop wrecking their lives. They went with a message that said, listen, God has a better plan in mind. You don't have to do this. You don't have to destroy yourself any longer. There's a new way of living and a new way of being. And Jeremiah was called to talk to the nation of Israel, who had completely blown it and had lost their identity, and they were distant from God, and they were separate from him. And so he went to these people with a message. And in the middle of his prophecy, in the middle of his ministry, God speaks to him. Listen to what it says. It says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. Because, you know, every once in a while, we need an object lesson. Just show me what you're talking about. Don't just talk about it. Show me what you want me to say. And so God says, I'm going to give you an object lesson, Jeremiah. So Jeremiah says, so I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. Now, I felt like the best way that we can understand this is to actually go down to the potter's house. So I've invited a real potter to be here with us today. His name is Paul McDermott. He's from our Lockport campus. Would you guys welcome Paul? Welcome back. Good to see you. Glad you made it. I went to Paul's house, actually, because when I was planning for this message, I wanted to know what it felt like to actually make something. And we took a video crew just in case it went horribly wrong, uh, but it didn't, so we have no video, so I'm really sorry about that. I will tell you this, nothing like the movie Ghost happened while I was there, (laughs) which is good. Like, I wasn't expecting that, I suppose. It was good. But one of the things I learned about as we started to work with the pottery and as I started to work with uh, my hands on this stuff is that pottery doesn't start at the wheel. It doesn't start where, pe- where it gets shaped. It actually starts with this. It starts with the clay. Now, back in biblical times when Jeremiah was talking, there was no such thing as plastic. There was no such thing as target. There was no such thing as pottery barn. And so, for people in biblical times, everything they ate and everything they drank came from a piece of pottery. So if you don't have pottery, you don't eat and you don't drink. Which, if you don't know what that means, it means that you don't live. And so clay was of ultimate value. And that also meant that potters were like the Steve Jobs of the biblical world. Like, they made all the money because without them, what you going to eat? What you going to drink? You've got to survive, and so I'm the guy that provides you with the utensils for survival. And so a potter would go out and find clay. He didn't go buy it somewhere because they just didn't sell it anywhere. He would go out, he would find the clay, and he would dig it up. And then he would bring it back to his house, to his shed, to his pottery barn, so to speak, and he would clean out all the rocks and twigs and leaves and everything, and then we'd take it, and he would let it sit. He would let it sit on the shelf for sometimes a year, sometimes two years, until it had finally softened and matured to the point where it can be used. Now listen, in this story, just to give away the end, God is the potter, and we are the clay. And one of the problems we have as clay is we want to be transformed and we want it to happen before breakfast tomorrow. We are impatient clay. We do not want to wait. And that's what makes God the great potter because he knows exactly when the right moment is to actually take it off the shelf and put it into practice. And so the potter would let it sit and would let it wait. And then once the pottery was ready, he would take it and he would begin to knead it. 
Now, if you know about bread making, you need bread, but with, this is different. The potter would actually like get his elbows right at his sides and really wedge in there and use all of his strength, use it from the, from the hips out, and he would begin to push and press with his palms. He would make something called the ram's head. It's a little ball. He would begin to push it together with his palms, and what he's doing is, while the clay sat there on the shelf, all these little processes were going on, and it created air bubbles, and these bubbles spread throughout the clay. Now, if you don't get rid of those and then you throw it in the oven to make the pot, it'll blow up. And that is no bueno, okay? That's not what you want to see happen. And so he would get in there and he would begin to press some of those things out. He would begin to press those air bubbles out, slowly but surely getting all of the imperfections and impurities out. And so when God begins dealing with us as the clay, he begins pressing on us to push out some of the stuff that doesn't belong. God is saying to Israel, I am going to begin to press out some of that pride, some of that arrogance, some of that stuff that's going to destroy you in the end. Begin to wedge it out. Even back in biblical times, they used to use their feet to knead because kneading is so difficult and it's so firm. Now think about that. You're gonna use your feet to knead it and then you're gonna eat off of it just in case that's a good image for you. You begin to press all of that stuff out and so the clay could not be done anything more with until it finally got all of those bubbles pressed out of it. And this is important for us. Because in the process of transformation, we're not just talking about changing the outside. We're not just tweaking some habits. We're talking about complete and total overhaul. And that's why the kneading is so necessary and important. So once the clay has been kneaded, once all the air bubbles are out, then the potter will take the clay to the wheel. Now, the wheel in those times were usually two stones, one stacked on top of the other, and the potter would actually kick the bottom one with his feet to cause the top one to spin. And this one we got electricity, so just bear with us. But what the potter would then do is something called throwing the clay, which sounds a lot more fun than it really is. Like you imagine three-year-olds throwing clay, but the potter would throw the clay, and what he would do is by force center that lump of clay in the dead center of the wheel. And this is so critical because if it's not in the dead center, once it starts to spin, it'll start to wobble. So that's what happened with mine. I, I got my hands on it and I'm doing like this, you know? And I said, is this gonna be good, Paul? And he says, not really, not even a little bit. So you have to then force it back to the center and press down on it so it stays centered in the center of the wheel because if not, when you start to shape this into a pot, it'll be lopsided. You remember vinyl records? You leave it out in the heat for a while and it gets this number going on and that's exactly what would happen. And so the potter had to force this into the center and hold it there in the middle because if not, it's going to get lopsided and deformed. So as Jeremiah is watching the potter, something happens. And it says this, but the pot that he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. Whatever happened, the potter had picked up the clay or was working with it, and it had gotten lopsided. One side had started to fall over, or there had been a dent made, or something had broken the clay from its shape that he had intended it to be. Now, I don't know, you may have walked in here and you may look back at your life and you may think, my life right now is pretty lopsided. It's wobbly. It's not going to function the way that it's supposed to in this shape. It is not in good shape. My, my marriage is wobbly and deformed right now. My relationships are wobbly and deformed. My business practices right now, my, my inner world is completely off kilter and out of shape. And the question we start to ask when we see that is, can anything be done? Like we see we need change, we see we need transformation, and everything's not as it should be, but then it's, it's like, is it too far? Have we gone too far? Is anything really possible here? And this is my favorite part of the story that Jeremiah is telling. Check this out. It says, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. 
So the potter takes this clay and he says, we can do something else with this. He begins to roll it back into a ball and he recenters it on the wheel and he begins to reshape it into something else. The most encouraging thing you and I can take from this today is that there is no lump of clay that the potter cannot reshape. There is no lopsided piece that is so far gone that it cannot be remade and reshaped. God is capable of reshaping our lives into exactly what he wanted them to be. If you, listen, if you don't believe this, it's fine. But Israel, the people that Jeremiah is speaking to, had messed up worse than the bears at Lambeau. They have lost it on so many different occasions. And yet God is speaking to them and saying, even though you're lopsided, even though you're deformed, even though you don't look like I intended you to look, something else can happen. And this is what he says to Jeremiah. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? He's saying, is it not within my power to take you, reshape you, remake you, and reform you? Can I not do that? Have you messed up your life so much that not even God can fix it? He's saying, this is not possible. There is no lump of clay that I cannot remake and reshape. Isaiah says it this way, though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. God is in the reshaping, reforming, remaking, transformation business, and he is chasing the clay. That's the message through Jeremiah is, I am chasing my people. I want to find them where they are in their lopsidedness and their brokenness and bring them back to the wheel and reshape them and reform them into this beautiful, purposeful thing that I had in mind for them from the beginning. We are all rehab projects for God. We are all flip jobs for God. And he is chasing us. Let me reshape you. Let me reform you. Let me put you back on the wheel. Let me recenter you on the wheel. This is what God is chasing us for. Now, the interesting thing is, while I was working with the clay, I'm doing the kneading thing and not doing a very good job at it. And Paul says, hey, what are you making? And I said, a mess is what I'm <laughs> making. He said, no, 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 that's not what I mean. He said, what do you see in the clay? Because every good potter that I, le I learned this is every good potter sees the clay, but they don't see the clay. They see what it can become. They have a vision. They see possibility. They see potential. They see not just a lump. They see a bowl or a cup or a plate. They see what it will be when they get done shaping and molding it. The artist Michelangelo, the sculptor, was interviewed once, and they said, how do you make such great sculptures out of stone out of ivory. How do you make the things that you make? And he says, I don't. The sculpture is already in there. What I simply do is cut away all the extra stuff. God sees the clay, and he doesn't see messed up, deformed, broken people. What he sees is a vision of what we can be of what his people can be if they let him recenter them on the wheel. We may look at our life and see a big chaotic pile of crazy town. What God sees is a bowl or a cup with purpose and life and goodness and grace. And he wants to shape us into that. We are clay, formless and chaotic, but God is the potter. And he is always looking to shape his people. 
So we need to get rid of the old wobbly stuff. Stop considering ourselves to be deformed and malformed. Once we get on the wheel, we can hear ourselves as things like this, which is what Paul says. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Everything that we desire, everything that we want to see true in our life is something that God has put there and is part of that vision for who we will become. And so he says, Israel, will you let me put you back on the wheel? Can I not reshape you? God is a potter with a vision. This is not where we stop. Because once the potter has centered the clay, he then begins to make the heart. And so he takes his thumb and he turns it upside down and he plunges it into the center of the clay. And he begins to press outward. And then he sticks his fingers inside and begins to gently press from the bottom up, shaping the clay, making it, giving it depth and height. What he's doing is he's creating capacity because a pot is no good if you can't put anything in it. And so the value and the worth of the pot comes from this thing called the heart, this space where stuff can go. That's what makes a pot a pot. That's what makes it useful. And so God begins to shape the inside out because for most of us, the reason we don't have that transformed life is because we don't have the capacity. And every good potter will tell you the capacity of a pot is directly related and dependent on the size of the heart. So God begins to recenter us, reshape us, and we're like, all right, remake us. And he says, the first thing I'm going to have to do is give you some capacity, give you some space, give you some ability to hold things, ability for me to fill you and be a part of you and be in you and shape you from the inside out. You've got to let me change your heart. Now, this is very important because a lot of times we think that God only works by force, that the only tool God carries in his toolbox is a sledgehammer. But this is not true when God is shaping our hearts because God knows that each of us require a different amount of pressure as he works up the outside. And what I learned was you've got to be just firm enough and just soft enough because sometimes the clay gets very thin. And if you are too forceful, it will break and it will mar. So God is not just a God who works by force. He is also an artist who gets in and delicately shapes us from the inside out, giving us the capacity Because the truth is, for the transformed life we all want, we've got to have better capacity. And the reason I know this is because there's some of us with exercise equipment at home that has clothes hanging on it. Let's just be honest. If we could change and transform ourselves, we'd already done it, right? God says, what you lack is not energy or ability. What you lack is capacity. You don't have the heart and the motivations to do what it takes to transform your life. So let me reshape and open your heart so that I might begin to work from the inside out in your life. Here's the promise through Ezekiel. It says, a new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God knows the life and the purpose we were all meant to have. He had the vision for that. And he also knows this is the heart that you're going to need in order to have that come true. Let me shape that from the inside. Let me make that capacity in you. So the next step after that, once the the pot is centered and shaped and the heart is created, the next step is to cut away the excess. See, just because you've got something that looks like a pot doesn't mean that everything belongs. 
It doesn't mean that everything needs to be there. And so what the potter will do is as the pottery is spinning, he'll take a sharp tool and he'll drag it along the bottom of the pot and begin to cut off all the stuff that doesn't belong there. Because some of it is about our capacity, some of it's about changing our shape, but some of it is about clearing out things that just don't belong. And this is where the reality of our life really starts to kick in, because some of it is that we've gotten lopsided and deformed, but some of it is we've gotten overed. We are mired in excess. There's too much extra clay. There's too much extra work, too much extra effort, too much extra stuff. And God says, if you want me to make you into who you're supposed to be, there's some stuff that's got to go bye-bye. So let me cut out the excess, the stuff that makes you live against the vision I have for you. Let me help you learn how to do Sabbath again. One of the main things that Israel had lost was the ability to take a day and rest. They'd gotten overworked and overbusied, and they thought that if they kept pushing hard enough, they would be able to change themselves, and so they neglected Sabbath, and God said, I created it so that you would be who you were supposed to be, and you've lost your identity because you've lost that. You've forgotten that you are not God, and that your efforts to run the world are not necessary. I got this. And so he begins to cut away the excess until all that's left is this beautiful shape. Now, once he's done, you've got something that looks quite useful, doesn't it? The depth, the edges, the shape, the lines, it looks beautiful. But if you were to try to pour something into that right now, that would not be good because it's soft. Even though on the outside it looks like it's ready to go, in the inside it is still too soft and too wet. And so what the potter will do then is let it dry and let it sit and let it wait. And you know, we're impatient clay. And he lets it wait until it gets to this point called leather dry where you could touch it and it's not tacky anymore. Because the outside may look beautiful, but the inside needs to dry. And this is one of the big challenges about transformation is we can get to the point where everything on the outside actually looks like it's going just fine. But on the inside, things are still soft. And they're not ready for the pressure of having God fill our capacity. I've been reminded of this this week because, you know, I can get to the point where I'm like, you know what, things are going really well in my life. The only, the best way you can test transformation in your life, if you feel like everything's going well on the outside, go get some Ikea furniture and put it together. (laughs) I said things, I created phrases and language for that piece of furniture that I don't even know if it's English, but in frustration, the the stuff that was in me began to spill out. And I love what Jesus says about this. He says, if you want to talk about transformation... But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. My heart is still in process. And I'm in that drying stage where God is letting me wait and sit until it's time to move on to the next step. What I realize most about myself through this whole potting process is I'm not patient enough to be my own potter. I want to rush ahead. I want to go ahead and take that and throw it on my table and throw some fruit in it and just be excited about it. It doesn't work that way. There is waiting. Spiritual transformation cannot be microwaved. You can't just DVR it and fast forward to all the good parts and skip all the commercials. It takes time. It is a process. It's not a moment. And so the potter lets the pot dry until it gets to leather dry. And then, then when he knows it's time, when the potter knows he's waiting for the right moment, when it's just right, he takes it to something called the kiln. 
The kiln is a giant oven that runs at like 1,800 degrees. And don't bake a cake in that, by the way, just in case you were wondering. Like, it's not going to be quicker. It's going to be burned. And so he takes the pot to this 1,800-degree oven, and he puts it in there. And when the potter puts the pot in that oven, he is burning off all the impurities, all the extra, all the stuff that kind of clinged to the pot, clung to the pot as the process was going on. He's burning off all of that stuff. And when the moment is right, when it's baked just enough, he reaches in, not with his bare hands, reaches in, pulls it out, and sets it down, and he lets it wait some more for a day maybe two. And then he takes it back to the oven and stokes it up to 2,400 to 2,700 degrees. But before he puts it in this time, he puts the distinctive markings on it, the paint, the glaze, the things that make it what it is. And then he puts it back in And once that process is done, he pulls it out. So after all of the waiting and after all of the kneading and after all of the centering and the cutting of the way of the excess and the making of the heart, then you get this. You get something beautiful, something with color, something that is smooth to the touch, something that's purposeful, something with capacity. You can do all kinds of stuff with this. Fill it with fruit if you want. Put a plant in it. Bold cereal. I don't know. <laughs> You'd need a matching spoon that looks like, you know, a Viking spoon. But, you know, you, you can do a lot of things with this. And we see this beautiful thing. And so when you look at the life of someone who has been transformed, it looks like this. And we go to God and we're like, hey, make me into that. And God says, I would love to. But listen, we've got to do some kneading and we've got to do some waiting and some cutting. No, 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 just wave your magic Jesus wand over it and get me there now. And at that point, God's like, I don't think you're looking for me. I think you're looking for a genie. Because there's a process here. Every person that has been transformed, every person whose life you look at and go, I want it to be like that, has been through the waiting, has been through the kneading, has been through the centering and the cutting, and they've been through the fire. But that is the process that God has in mind for all of us because it's the best thing that could ever happen for us to be transformed from the inside out. And now because of Jesus, we have that opportunity. Paul in 2 Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the misshapen pot, the misformed pot, and the new is here. You and I can be transformed into a purposeful, beautiful vessel that will not only bless us, but will bless the entire world. If we submit to the process of transformation, if we are willing to let the good potter have a go at us. So I know we're all in different places. So maybe you came in today and you're... um, You're waiting. Some of us are on the shelf waiting. We're here. Maybe we're waiting for a prayer to be answered. Maybe we're waiting for a relationship to get better. Maybe we're waiting for a conversation that we really don't want to have. Maybe we're waiting to finally have God tell us, what are you going to do with this situation? Who am I going to marry? What am I going to do for a living? You're on the shelf and you're waiting in this process. And God is saying, trust me. I am the good potter. I know when the time is right. So if you're here, would you just focus on the idea that you're being prepared for something? The potter always has a vision. Don't lose lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of the fact that you're here for a reason and you're waiting until the moment is exactly right. So if you're waiting today, consider what is God preparing me for? So some of us are here on the table waiting. 
And when we wait here, one of the things to remember is that God has encouraged this throughout the scriptures. So before we move into this kneading process, he encourages us in the Psalms to say, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him because he has something good in mind for us. Wait here for me. Now some of us are there, but some of us are in the kneading process. God has put us here, he's he's let us wait for a while, now he's beginning to push his palms into our lives. He's beginning to press on us. He's beginning to push out some air bubbles and it's, ah, it does not feel good because it's stuff that we don't want him to really deal with. Before I came here, I was the senior pastor of another church and I was there for five years. And during that five years, I went through nine interview processes with other churches. Because the whole time I was there, I wanted to get out. Because it was a very difficult situation. It was a very painful situation. And I didn't want to be there. And so finally, after interview number nine, I was in our church and I was getting ready for the message that weekend. And, and we, had, um, we had one of those Dutch Jesus paintings in the back. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like Jesus with the blonde hair and the blue eyes. And he's kind of turned this way and the wind is blowing like Fabio. <laughs> And so I'm sitting there and I'm looking up at Dutch Jesus and I'm like, listen, you're going to have to do something about this because I'm done. I'm out. I obviously want to leave. You obviously don't want me to. So you're going to have to do something here. And what I realized was I was not only waiting, but God had put me in that spot to need me. And what he was doing is he had thrown me on the table a bit, and he was beginning to press out all of that stuff that didn't need to be there if I was going to survive the future of the life he had for me. He was pushing out all the pride and all the arrogance and all the egotism and all the overconfidence. He was like, I love you, but you've got to stop being such a jerk. So I'm going to push that out. Will you let me press those air bubbles and push them out? Because eventually they are going to kill you. So some of us are in that kneading process. Transformation won't happen until God has pressed that out of us. So maybe God is pushing on you and saying, there's some things in your life that need to go away. There's some things you need to let me push out. There's some addictions, some attitudes that I've got to get rid of in you or you're not going to make it. Maybe we're needing, but some of us, some of us, maybe God wants to put us on the wheel, and he wants to center us in who he has for us to be. Now, this is the interesting thing. The potter spends more of his time trying to center the clay than anything else, because not only is clay impatient, it also doesn't want to stay in the middle. It wants to fly off, and so the potter spends most of his time managing and trying to get that clay into the center of the wheel because he knows if you're not in the center of the wheel, you're never going to become the vision I have in mind for you. So some of us need to get centered in our identity. We need to get centered in the fact that we are not a failure or a mistake or beyond repair, but that we are God's beloved. And he wants to throw us down and say, let me remind you of who you are. You are not worthless. You are not a mistake. You are my beloved. This is what John says. He says, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We are on the center and we are becoming. We don't know what that's going to look like, but all we know is we are God's children and he is going to care for us. So we need to be centered in that idea, that identity. We also need to be centered in that idea of rest. Some of us need to take eight hours and unplug from activity that produces outcomes. We need to remember that God is in control of the universe, and if we unplug from email for a while, we'll come back, and guess what? The planets are still in alignment, and yeah, our blood pressure is still above viability. 
that we are not the ones running the world and the more we are able to unplug and let him center us in rest, we'll realize who he is and that we can trust him immensely. We need to get centered in prayer where we begin to bring our ideas and our dreams together with God and say, what is it you have for me? What are you shaping me into? We center ourselves in scripture, getting our brains rewired to see the world the way God sees the world, to see our identity the way God sees our identity. God wants to center us on the wheel, but this is the interesting thing about it. A good potter will tell you he has power over the clay. The clay does what he tells it to do. But when it comes to us, God is not going to force you onto the wheel. You have a choice whether you want him to center you or not. So the question that happens there is, do we trust the potter? Do we trust that God's vision for what he wants to shape us into is actually better than our idea? Is God smarter than we are? And if so, he's saying, let me center you. Let me put you on the wheel and begin to shape you into who I have always wanted you to be. Do we trust that the potter's plan is worth jumping into? Now, I know some of us here have already built a life for ourselves. Maybe you've built a successful company. You've been running it for a while. You've got employees. You've got people who report to you. You've had financial, economic, and social success. You've climbed the ladder. And you're kind of at this point of saying, I don't know that I need to go on the wheel. Things are good. Let me just... Let me just pose a question to you. Have you ever felt like there could be more? Have you ever felt that there could be more than just economic climbing and social climbing and professional climbing? Have you ever thought that maybe there is more to life than just that? There was an interview done with Tom Brady. If you don't know who Tom Brady is, he's a dashingly handsome quarterback from the University of Michigan. That's all I'm saying. Uh, But Tom Brady has been so successful in his career, winning Super Bowls, married to a supermodel. He's got this super, super life. And they interviewed him, and he said something at the end of the interview that was amazing to me. And he said, I still feel like there are some things that I don't have. I'm still not really satisfied. How can that be? The reason is because there is a potter who is calling after the life of Tom and the life of all of us who wants to put us on the wheel and say, there's more to it than what you have on the outside. Let me shape you from the inside out. Let me give you capacity to answer that question, is there more? Is it possible that God wants more for us than we could ever envision for ourselves? Well, that's a good question. Do we trust the potter? Do we trust him to put us on that wheel? So some of us need to be on the wheel. Now, some of us Some of us are under the fire. Some of us are under the fire. Maybe it is a chronic pain situation. Maybe it's a chronic relational issue. Maybe it's a mental, psychological issue. Some of us are struggling every single day with an energy-sucking situation, and we just don't know what to do with it. The amazing thing about fire is that it's neutral. So you can use fire for good or ask a firefighter. You can use fire for evil. It all depends on the purpose and who's controlling it and who's shaping it. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, the word fire is used 1,030 times. And most of us get a little nervous when we start talking about fire in the Bible because we typically start thinking about, you know. But most of the time when fire is used in the Old Testament, it's not about punishment. It's about purity. It's about God taking the stuff that's not supposed to be there and burning it out. And that's what a potter is doing. So if God is the good potter, he understands that fire is neutral and I can use the challenges in your life to shape you into who you were meant to be. I can use this neutral thing to shape you into who you were supposed to be. 
I have a good friend, and her name is Ellie. <laughs> you may notice Ellie, she's, the, she's been the face of the Speedway Children's Miracle Network stuff and also for Ace Hardware. And when I met her, she's just, she's all smile. The kid's smile is bigger than the rest of her. And she's just got this spirit and this spunk and this attitude and she talks to me like an adult, which is amazing. And she calls me Mr. Casey, Mr. Casey. And the interesting thing about Ellie is that Ellie was born with spina bifida. And so I didn't know much about that, but I got to know her family and I got to know her a little bit better. And, and it was amazing to me to learn all of the things that she has to deal with. How early she has to get up in the morning to take care of all the things she has to take care of. How many times in a year she has tests that most of us only have once in a lifetime. How difficult it is to move around, to go to school. And yet there's that smile. How does that work? Here's how it works. It's because her parents are raising her to trust the potter. And that the fire that she is under every single day can either be used to depress her or to shape her into a beautiful vessel that is blessing the world. The fire does not have to kill you. It can shape you. And so if God is the good potter, he knows exactly when to pull us out of the heat. And pull us out and he shows the world, this is what I can do with all of the darkness and all of the situations that had come, I will take formless clay, shape it into a beautiful ribbon of light, whether it's Ellie or it's you or myself, I'll shape it into something that battles against the darkness that most of us live in every single day. The fire can be good. So if you're under the fire, know the potter is there and he's ready to pull you out when the moment is right, when you have become who you're supposed to be. I don't know where you are. Maybe you're on the table waiting. Maybe God is beginning to need you and he's pressing on some stuff that you just don't want him to touch. I get it. We gotta understand when God hurts us most, he also heals us most. Maybe you're on the wheel and you're having trouble staying centered because you're fighting against the potter because you feel like you've got a better idea than he does of how this is supposed to go. Maybe, maybe you're in the kiln. Maybe you're in the fire. All I know in that is that God, the good potter, the compassionate potter, is chasing after you because to him, there is no clay without a vision and a purpose because the good potter is making all things new. 